0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novograti. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratz, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 28, 2015. In our general news section today, I'll talk about the progress congressional lawmakers are making in finalizing a joint budget agreement. I'll also share updated proposed guidance from the Financial Accounting Standards Board, or FASB, on how nonprofits should present their financial statements. In our affordable housing section, I'll discuss how the House Appropriations Committee last week approved Fiscal Year 2016 allocation for funding the Departments of Transportation and Housing and Urban Development. Then, I'll talk about how a private letter ruling released by the IRS could affect how local tax credit developers and their accountants think about eligible basis under Section 42. I'll also share news about an upcoming webinar designed to help Low-Income Housing Tax Credit property owners and managers avoid tax credit recapture. To close out this section, I'll share news about which national leader in affordable housing is retiring this summer. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll discuss how listeners can join and contribute to the New Markets Tax Credit Working Group. Then, in our historic tax credit section, I'll talk about recommended practices for structuring transactions so that they satisfy safe harbor requirements. In the same section, I'll share information about another tax court case that ruled that the allocation of state tax credits to a partner was, in substance, a disguised sale of state tax credits. After that, I'll outline some new regulations adopted for the Iowa State Historic Tax Credit that will go into effect in a few weeks. Then, in our Renewable Energy Tax Credit section, I'll discuss a bill that was introduced to phase out, yes, phase out and repeal the Federal Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. And to close out this week's podcast, I'll talk about a recent report that once again confirms how the solar industry could be in trouble if the 30% investment tax credit is not extended past 2016. If you're ready, let's get started. Let's start off this week's general section with an update on the budget conference agreement that lawmakers from both chambers are negotiating. House Budget Committee Chairman Tom Price told reporters this past Thursday that negotiators are, quote, close to striking a budget agreement. Now, what exactly he means by close remains to be seen. He didn't provide any specifics on negotiations or on what might be contained in proposed compromises. Rumor has it that a deal will be announced this week negotiators are most certainly discussing differences over defense spending and the possible use of reconciliation in the Senate. Listeners know that the reconciliation process would prevent a filibuster by Senate Democrats, and Senate Republicans could advance legislation to the President in issues such as the repeal of Obamacare and tax reform. Now, certainly on lawmakers' radars is the beginning of fiscal year 2016, which begins October 1st. 2015. If they don't pass a deal before then, the federal government will be limited to $1.017 trillion in discretionary spending for the Pentagon and domestic programs. This is the top line number for the fiscal year 2016 budget. For the latest updates, follow me on Twitter. My handle is at In other news, I have an update from the Financial Accounting Standards Board, or FASB. Last week, FASB announced that it's proposing a major rewrite of its standards for financial statement presentation by nonprofits. For the most part, current guidance for nonprofits has been in place for more than 20 years. That's since 1993. The proposed update is meant to improve the usefulness of information provided by nonprofits to donors, creditors, and others. It's also meant to reduce complexities or costs for those who prepare or use the financial statements. Proposals for improvement fall into four main areas. First is net asset classification. The proposed standards would consolidate net asset classification requirements from 3 to 2. This means eliminating the distinction between temporarily restricted and permanently restricted assets. The second area is liquidity information. It would require nonprofits to disclose information on liquidity and financial assets available to meet near term demands for cash. Third is the statement of activities. These include items such as operating expenses and investment returns, net of related external and direct internal expenses. And the fourth category is presentation of operating cash flows. Nonprofits would need to present the net amount for operating cash flows using the direct method of reporting rather than the indirect method the classification of certain cash flows would also change. The significance of these changes to the tax credit community is how nonprofits will report the purchase, development, and operations of affordable housing in the statements of activities and cash flows. Nonprofits may also need to provide more information on how monies are spent on the statement of activities or in the notes to the financial statements. If applicable, this would include disclosing more information on the funding of affordable housing transactions. Now, we've posted a copy of the Exposure Draft for you at wwwnovacocom slash hottopics. Simply click on the Tax Credit Accounting link and select Proposals. FASB will accept comments on its proposals until August 20th. And if you're interested in learning more about the proposed Updates, FASB will host an educational webinar on them in two weeks, Tuesday, May 12th. You can sign up at www.fasb.org. If you have more specific questions as to the possible impact of these proposed updates to nonprofit accounting standards, please contact Dave Conway in our Dover, Ohio office or Bentley Stanton in our Atlanta office. And if you yourself have particular concerns about individual provisions, please send an email to cpas at novaco.com. In Affordable Housing News, the House Appropriations Committee approved proposed 302B allocations last Wednesday. The committee approved the allocation of $55.27 billion for discretionary programs in the fiscal year 2016 bill funding the U.S. Departments of Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development, or THUD. hud That's $1.5 billion more than the fiscal year 2015 subcommittee level. And it represents nearly all of the total of $1.8 billion increase in funding allocation distributed among all 12 subcommittees. It's great that t saw an increase in funding, but it's estimated that HUD itself will require $3 billion just to maintain the current level of services it offers. That's because of three main reasons. One, the Section 8 Project-Based Rental Assistance Program will require an additional $1.1 billion in 2016 because of a shift to calendar year funding in fiscal year 2015. Two, HUD will need another $848 million to renew Section 8 Housing Choice Vouchers as a result of restored funding in the fiscal 2014 and fiscal 2015 HUD funding bills. And three, the decline in receipts from Federal Housing Administration mortgage insurance programs and Ginnie Mae securitization, which will leave a $1.1 billion hole in the budget. A Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development Subcommittee meeting will be held tomorrow, Wednesday, to mark up the fiscal year 2016 appropriations bill. I'll have more details on Twitter for you as they become available. Next, I have news that could have developers thinking twice about what costs to include in their eligible basis under Section 42, as well as their accountants thinking twice. Earlier this month, the Internal Revenue Service released a private letter ruling Requested by a developer who was building a long compensating tax credit property. Here's the twist City officials required this developer to move a third party easement on the land before they would grant a housing permit. The developer complied and paid the easement owner the requested sum to relocate. Well, the tax credit investor then said it would not provide equity associated with the credits on the cost of the easement transfer unless a private letter ruling was requested that would allow the easement relocation cost to be included in the eligible basis under Section 42. So the developer hired a lawyer to help with the private letter ruling request and the lawyer argued that the city's requirement created a cause and effect relationship between the incurred costs and the building's continued development. Fortunately, the IRS agreed and ruled that the easement relocation costs should be included in the eligible basis. If the IRS had ruled otherwise, it would have put a significant financial strain on the property because developers hadn't originally budgeted for the easement relocation cost and would have created a gap in the funding sources and uses. I should note that a private letter ruling only applies to the taxpayer who requested it. It cannot be used or cited as precedent. However, I wanted to share this with listeners because it could encourage developers to take a closer look at their development costs to learn more about the private letter ruling check out the January 2015 issue of the Novogratic Journal of Tax Credits. And if you have any further questions about costs to include in eligible basis, please contact my partner Bill Lessinger in our Long Beach, California office. Bill can be reached at 562-432-9482. In other affordable housing news, I'd like to remind listeners that there's still time to sign up for the Novogratic Understanding and Avoiding Tax Credit Recapture webinar this week. The webinar addresses the effects of loan compensation tax credit recapture. And importantly, it will discuss how to avoid the violations of loan compensation tax credit rules that can lead to the issuance of Forms 8823 and ultimately tax credit recapture. The webinar will be useful for property owners, asset managers, on site managers, and anyone else interested in making sure that a property retains the full amount of tax credits it was awarded. Registrants will have the opportunity to earn continuing professional education, or CPE credit. The webinar is going to be held this Thursday, April 30th, from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You can sign up at www.novaco.com. Before we move on to our next section, I'd like to share some news. Pat Nash is retiring in July after 25 years with J.P. Morgan. Pat's the managing director of housing investments, and as many listeners know, he has helped build JP Morgan, into one of the largest affordable housing equity investors in the country. The company grew from having $25 million invested in affordable housing in 1993 to $12 billion today. That represents a portfolio of more than 6,100 properties. Novogratz & Company, as well as I personally, as I've worked with Pat since 1993, would like to thank Pat for his work and contributions to the affordable housing community. We'd also like to congratulate his successor, Bill Pelletier. Bill is the Managing Director and Head of Single Investor Fund Investments for J.P. Morgan Capital Corporation's Direct Affordable Housing Group. He's also the President of the Affordable Housing Investors Council. Congratulations, Bill. We look forward to working with you in your new role. In our New Market Tax Credit section, I'd like to invite listeners to consider joining the New Market's Tax Credit Working Group. The New Market Tax Credit Working Group works to resolve technical, regulatory, and administrative New Market Tax Credit program issues. We also provide recommendations to the IRS, CDFI Fund, and other agencies on ways to make the New Market Tax Credit even more effective and efficient. For example, we recently sent comments to the Senate Tax Reform Working Group. We urge the Senate to make the New Market Tax Credit a permanent part of the tax code, increase allocation authority with annual inflation adjustments, and allow the new market tax credit to offset the Alternative Minimum Tax, or AMT. We also recommended that new market tax credit recapture be modified to provide greater efficiency and facilitate a wider variety of non-real estate investments. We're now working on recommendations for the IRS's 2015-2016 Guidance Priority List. If you're interested in becoming a member, there's still time to join the group before our next meeting on May 19th. At that meeting, we plan on discussing our 2015-16 Priority Guidance Requests, our Recommended Practices and Financial Feasibility Determinations, and our Allocation Application Comments. If you're not a member already, you can still submit comments for the Working Group's consideration. Go to www.NewMarketTaxCreditWorkingGroup.com That's www.NMTCWorkingGroup.com for more information. In historic tax credit news, the Historic Tax Credit Coalition has published recommended practices for closing federal historic tax credit investments intended to satisfy the requirements of RevProc 2014-12. As listeners know, RevProc 2014-12 established a safe harbor for historic tax credit investments made within a single tier or through a master tenant structure. While well, the Historic Tax Credit Coalition earlier this month proposed recommendations on structuring historic tax rate transactions so that they satisfy the requirements of the revenue procedure and qualify for the safe harbor. Topics include the investor's partnership interest, fees, lease terms, and more. I'll share with you some of the insights now. As you may know, the revenue procedure states that the value of the investor's partnership interest may not be reduced through fees, lease terms, or other arrangements that are unreasonable compared to those of non historic tax credit projects. To address this reasonableness test, the Coalition recommends getting an independent third party to substantiate the reasonableness of fees. Also, for the most part, incentive management fees paid by a developer partnership or a master-tenant partnership should be avoided. The article is written for the Historic Tax Credit Coalition by Jerry Breed and Scott DiMartino. To view the article, you can go to the Coalition's website at www.historiccredit.com. And if you have questions about structuring your historic tax credit transactions, contact my partner Tom Boscha in our Cleveland, Ohio office at 216-298-9000. You can also reach out to Blair Kenser, a partner in our valuation group who focuses on historic tax credit transactions. In related news, the U.S. Tax Court ruled earlier this month that a transfer of state rehabilitation tax credits in Virginia a decade ago was in substance a disguised sale. The case involved Virginia rehabilitation tax credits that in 2005 were transferred to individuals who contributed cash to become partners. The tax court said it was a disguise sale. The court ruled it involved a transfer of money in exchange for state tax credits. The court said that the recipient of the tax credits was promised a legally enforceable $1 with state tax credits, for every 53 cents it contributed to the partnership. In addition, the tax court ruled that the recipient was shielded from any loss of tax credits through an indemnity clause. The court cited previous rulings that a disguised sale occurs when a partner directly or indirectly transfers money or property to a partnership, and there is a related transfer of money or other property by the partnership to the partner, and those transfers are properly characterized as a sale when viewed together. The tax court ruled that the transaction in this case was in all material aspects similar to a previous Virginia case. So it ruled the transaction at a disguised sale based on what's known as the Golson rule. That's the rule where the U.S. tax court is bound only to follow the circuit court to which the taxpayer has a right to appeal. In this case, it was the Fourth Circuit Court which ruled the previous case was a disguised sale. You can see the tax court's decision at www.historictaxcredits.com. Hover over HTC and click on Court Rulings. The case is SWF Real Estate LLC, Yellowfish Investments versus Commissioner of Internal Revenue. For questions about the ruling and its impact, contact Tom Bowman, a partner in her St. Louis office. In other news, I have a state level update out of Iowa. The Iowa Department of Revenue, or DOR, has amended regulations to adopt and adopted new ones relating to its state historic tax credit. The rules were adopted last May with the passage of House File 2453. The bill fine-tuned the state's 25% historic tax credit. This is a credit available for eligible commercial properties, owner-occupied residential properties, and barns, with a program cap of $45 million per year. The legislation included a few rule changes that will go into effect next month, May 20th. Now first, these changes made the Department of Revenue joint administrator of the State Historic Tax Credit Program along with the Department of Cultural Affairs. Second, developments with tax credits reserved prior to July 1, 2014 will operate under the DOR's old rules. Meanwhile, projects with tax credits reserved on or after July 1, 2014 will operate under the DOR's new regulations. In a similar way, the Department of Cultural Affairs regulations will also use July 1, 2014 as a reservation date to determine whether a project follows old or new rules. And finally, the regulations provide that beginning May 20th, the credit can be claimed for expenses paid with other public funding sources. That's, of course, only when allowed under the Federal Historic Tax Credit Program and it explains how public dollars are treated for projects for which the federal law does not apply. Together, the adopted rules may help clarify and address questions regarding previous state regulations. Ultimately, this can lead to a more efficient state program. To read more about these changes, visit www.historictaxcredits.com. Hover over the Legislation tab and click on State Legislation. For particular questions on your own uh, Iowa State Historic Tax Credit Transaction, Please reach out to my partner, Michael Kressig, in our St. Louis office. In renewable energy tax credit news, legislation was introduced last week to phase out and repeal the Federal Production Tax Credit. The bill's text says that it will put a hard stop date on credits and will deter extenders. As many listeners know, the Production Tax Credit was originally enacted in 1982 and has been extended several times. It was allowed to expire at the end of 2014, but remains in the Internal Revenue Code and in expectations that it will be extended again. The legislation that was recently introduced would take it off the books. The proposal would also repeal the inflation adjustment that exists for current recipients of the PTC, effective next January. The credit would be reduced by approximately 35% until the entire statutory framework for the production tax credit is eliminated after the year 2025. The legislation also proposes to clarify the beginning of construction threshold. That's the standard that has to be met by the end of 2014 for new facilities to be eligible to begin receiving the production tax credit. The legislation says that the phrase continuous program of construction would only apply to physical work, not financial. The bill also says that Congress should allow the credit to remain expired and not to extend or renew it in the future. Now from my point of view, the production Tax Credit has been instrumental in driving the growth of wind energy. And passing such legislation that would take the provision out of the tax code would endanger thousands of wind energy jobs. The bill is entitled the PTC Elimination Act, it's HR 1901, and it was introduced by Republican Congressman Kenny Marchant of Texas and Mike Pompeo of Kansas. It was assigned to the House Ways and Means Committee and you can read the text of the bill at www.energytaxcredits.com. Click on the Legislation tab. In other news, a report by the Stanford Graduate School of Business says the U.S. solar industry is headed off a cliff if the investment tax credit isn't extended. This report from Stanford focuses on the investment tax credit, which is scheduled to drop from its current 30% rate to 10% beginning in 2017. The report says the reduction from 30% to a permanent 10% would be disastrous to the industry. Researchers found that solar has experienced gradual progress in being cost competitive with other energy sources, but the steep credit percentage drop in 2017 would have renewable energy unable to compete with with other energy sources, according to the report. The authors of the report go on to suggest a gradual step-down of the credit to 20% in 2017 and to 10% in 2021 and to 0% or elimination in 2025. The authors say that the industry is better suited to endure a series of smaller shocks rather than a dramatic drop-off. Still, the report's recommendations of a gradual phase-down and elimination of the credit brought strong disagreement from a leading solar industry group namely the Solar Energy Industries Association, or SIA. While SIA agreed about the potentially harmful credit drop from 30% to 10%, it warned against eliminating the credit completely, even if the process was gradual. In a press release, SIA said that Congress should instead be talking about extending the credit at its current levels. There's one thing that the report and stakeholders can agree on, the future of the investment tax credit should be settled now. That way, investors and other participants will have time to make long-term plans. You can find a copy of the Stanford report at www.energytaxcredits.com. Hover over Resources and click on the Research Center. The report is called the U.S. Investment Tax Credit for Solar Energy, Alternatives to the Anticipated 2017 Step-Down. If you have additional questions about the investment tax credit or your solar energy projects in general, Contact my partner, Tony Graponi in our Boston, Massachusetts office. Well, that brings it to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Next week, I'll have news regarding another National Affordable Housing Leader who is also stepping down this year. His ingenuity and willingness to embrace new ideas has made housing more affordable in his home state. Further, his willingness, his enthusiastic willingness to share what he has learned, has expanded his impact well beyond the geographic boundaries of his home state. By my just saying what I've said, you probably already know of whom I speak. Well, this is Michael Novogratic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratic & Company, LLP, archived discussions, are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.